Hello, and welcome back to If You Don't Know, Now You Know, a Moat Museum podcast talking about a variety of different topics. My name is Irene, and today we are going to be talking about the Southern Manifesto, and then a little bit about the Gray Commission and the Stanley Plan. So we're going to start off with the Southern Manifesto. It was orchestrated by Virginia Senator Harry Byrd, who was regarded as the puppet master of Virginia politics, and he was a former governor of Virginia from 1926 to 1930. He introduced this uh, idea of the Southern Manifesto in the House of Representatives as the Declaration of Constitutional Principles. Uh, which was by Howard Smith of Virginia in 1956 to defy the Brown v. Board decision. So this claimed that Brown exercised judicial overstep by impeding on states' rights, cited that because education wasn't directly mentioned in the Constitution, the court had no business regulating it. It encouraged states to pass legislation to resist the Brown decision and in Congress, no one spoke against it. So one-fifth of Congress signed on, and this was 77 representatives and 19 senators. All from the states that used to be part of the Confederacy. This included the entire delegations of Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Virginia. It also included parts of Florida, parts of North Carolina, parts of Tennessee, and parts of Texas. Along with legal action, white Southerners also grouped together to create private schools so that they could educate their own kids, while they worked to have public schools, which mostly served black students, closed down. States passed laws that punished schools who integrated by pulling their state funding, also gave tuition grants to families supporting segregation. It created people placement boards on the basis of race to purposely segregate. It supported free choice, and so white families typically stayed away from mostly black schools. And in the North, some of these schools were set up under the guise of religious education, but they served the same purpose. So while the plan was to use legal action to keep segregation, some whites used more violent means to intimidate those trying to integrate. Meanwhile, the NAACP continued to bring court cases to push back against massive resistance, which brought upon court-ordered integration in certain areas. Some counties continued closing schools despite this, and this included Charlottesville, Warrington County, and Norfolk on Virginia. But orders by the Virginia State Court of Appeals uh, ordered that these schools reopen on an integrated basis. Harry Bird had also supported for a while, or excuse me, Harry Bird had support for a while But moderate whites began to see the legislative push as too much, and they started pushing back against him. In 1959, Governor J. Lindsay Allman called off massive resistance in Virginia. Prince Edward County supervisors decided that they would not levy any funding for public schools 
rather than open them on an integrated basis. And so with no funding, the schools were effectively closed. Meanwhile, Prince Edward County also gave tax credits to white residents that they, so that they could afford the private education option. Here in Prince Edward County, black families were given the opportunity to have their own private schools, but they declined knowing that it would tarnish their final goal of integrated education. And so the public schools stay closed for five years. In 1963, a privately funded and temporary free school was opened up to all children of the county, but the student body was mostly black with a small handful of white students. A couple years later, the Griffin decision, or excuse me, a couple months later, the Griffin decision from the Supreme Court reopened the public schools on an integrated basis but even then, it wasn't until the 70s that the public schools in Prince Edward were truly integrated. So now I want to go into a little bit more detail of the Gray Commission and the Stanley Plan. So the Stanley Plan, established in 1954 by Governor Thomas B. Stanley and chaired by Virginia State Senator Garland Gray to review the Brown decision and make recommendations on how Virginia should respond. This commission was consisted of solely white male legislators from Southern counties. After about a year of deliberation and testimony from black and white citizens of the Commonwealth, the commission formally decided that Brown had overstepped. Legislation that came out of this commission was what became known as the Stanley Plan. And it was created so that families would not be forced to send their children to integrated schools. So, you know, as I talked about earlier, money was budgeted for tuition grants to families sending their children to non-integrated schools. These were the private schools. Uh, the Pupil Selection Program, it allowed localities to assign students to certain school districts to ensure segregation, and uh, transfer requests had to be approved. So if you were assigned to one school district and you wanted your child to go another, you had to request this transfer, and to ensure that segregation continued, a lot of these transfer requests were denied. Students were not required to attend integrated schools. And so, a couple years later, interposition was adopted in 1956, which was the argument that Virginia should intervene on the basis of state sovereignty against a, quote, unconstitutional federal mandate, end quote. That being the Brown decision. So, James Jackson Kilpatrick, editor of the Richmond Newsleader was a primary public advocate for this idea. And the legal push continued and was heavily reinforced after the forced integration aided by President Eisenhower's use of federal troops in Little Rock, Arkansas. Then January 1958 rolls around and the Virginia General Assembly passed legislation that authorized the governor to one those schools that were protected by federal troops to refuse allocate to refuse to allocate state funding to schools that went through with integration. 
So Prince Edward County, again, took massive resistance a step further by refusing to allocate any funding whatsoever to any schools in the county for five years, regardless of whether they were black schools or white schools. Now, again, as I stated when I was talking about uh, the Southern Manifesto and massive resistance, the schools were closed until the public schools were closed this entire five years. But in 1963, a free school was opened up, which was privately funded in part by donations and part by the federal government. And so, you know, these legislative packages to encourage massive resistance remained in play for about a decade between 1954 and 1964 when the Supreme Court decision Griffin v. County School Board of Prince Edward County where it decided that it was unconstitutional to refuse allocating funds to the public schools in order to keep them closed. Again, in 1968, the Supreme Court ruled in Green v. County School Board of New Kent that the Choice Pupil Placement Program could also no longer continue. Now, while this was the end of massive resistance legislation, it began to... Uh, become known as what many people describe as passive resistance. And this was where families continued with the attitudes and the preconceived ideas and notions that they had been brought up with during this time of massive resistance. And um, in an earlier podcast, one of the things we mentioned is that it wasn't until you know the late 60s and 70s until a lot of schools were truly integrated despite being desegregated. So there you go. If you don't know, now you know. The Great Commission, Stanley Plan within Massive Resistance and the Southern Manifesto. So for more information, you can check out the uh, website virginiahistory.org, the Library of Virginia, uh, the Edwin Washington Project, as well as history.house.gov, 13.org, NAACP, their website, uh, again, virginiahistory.org, and the University of Virginia also has some essays on massive resistance in the Southern Manifesto. So remember, if there are any topics that you would like us to cover, email us at info at moatonmuseum.org or DM us on social media at Moat Museum. Talk to y'all soon. Bye.